You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety and comedy performers. Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast presented by us, Kane and Abel, two magicians with the exact same voice. And this week's guest is Ava Bowe, working girl, professional magician, hardworking, former musician, headline act at festivals, Frankie Cote. We're not doing Ava. I thought it was Ava's episode. No? No. It's Frankie. I thought Frankie was just going to be a short little 15 minute extra when you're going to bash out on Wednesday. Well, you are right, Kane. Frankie was just going to be a bonus. Oh, thank goodness, you did say that. He was just oh, going to be a I bonus. I was going mad. No, no, no. You've, you've already gone mad. Frankie was going to be a bonus episode to promote his new book. But when I did the interview, I realised this needed to be a full episode. It's so good, it's going to be a full absolutely a full episode it's a heart-wrenching and inspiring interview and the book in which frankie is talking about as well as his career as a musician is now become an amazon bestseller and it is called escape breathe ignite how to escape any rut it's available on amazon and is already as i've said a bestseller frankie cote is today's guest he joins us on talking tricks now stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy and variety, you're listening to Talking Tricks. Joining us now on Talking Tricks is Frankie Coat, a performer, a YouTuber, a writer and the author of Escape, Breathe, Ignite, How to Escape Any Rut. If you're a performer or a person, you've no doubt been in a rut at some point and Frankie is going to tell us how to get out of any rut no matter what you're in in a moment on Talking Tricks. But before then, the first thing I have to say is, hey Frankie, how you doing? Hey, I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. That was the most wonderful introduction I've ever had in my entire life. So I'll be keeping that for posterity's sake. Um, But yeah, it's great to be here. Good to be talking about these things. As a creative person, I have been in so many ruts in my life and I think I found a way out and I'm really glad that I'm able to share this with people. Super, and you mentioned being a creative person. So before we get into the meat of the book, I wanna talk about some of the things you've created. I first met you when you were you were in a band, Fly Frankie Fly. Yeah. Was that kind of your first route into performing? It was. So when I was about 15, 16, I was completely obsessed with the idea of being a pop star. Uh, I don't know if it was because I was being bullied at school and I thought pop stars wouldn't be bullied, or it's because I had this kind of deep love for music. It's probably a combination of both. But at that age, I was desperate to get on stage, desperate to sing songs that I'd written. And uh, the journey from the age of 15, 16 to the age of about 22 was one of pushing and creating and writing songs and being laughed at for writing terrible songs at the start. And then people stopped laughing at the songs and then suddenly people were enjoying the songs. Um, So when I hit hit, uh, the, uh, when I hit about 22, 
I was performing to crowds of 1400 people. It was, it had evolved into something that was truly beautiful. And uh, I, I still look back at that time with fond memories when it comes to the performance side of things, because there really isn't a feeling that I've had since that, that matches that standing on stage, singing something you wrote in your bedroom in front of 1400 people, and they don't hate it. They kind of love it. And there's this energy in the room. I don't know. As a creator, I think, uh, people will resonate with that energy, that excitement. Absolutely. And um, you touched on it a little bit there, but but let's dig a tiny bit deeper on, on some of the early achievements, I suppose, in, in this period of your life when you were, you know, in a band, front man of a band, writing your own music, performing it to people. What were some of the highlights of uh, that period of your life? Ah, there were some great highlights. There were some really good highlights. So, for example, some of the bigger shows we played alongside Example, who just had his number one hit. It was a, a song called Kickstarts. I don't know if you remember that song, but like, it was a number one hit at the time. We were playing these big shows with Example, Tinchy Strider, Kaiser Chiefs. We played at Bestival. We got onto Radio One. It was just a really exciting time because, you know, when, you, when you're that younger age and you start to see your projects sort of fruitioning into something, Oh man, we were we were so excited. Kind of what happened then, Frankie? So why um, why did uh, you put the brakes on, on the on the band or so I'd to like speak? I like to look back at that time and say I put the brakes on the band because it was the only thing that I still had control of in my life. <laughs> so beyond the band, everything else was somewhat of a disaster. Um, I had reached a point where I was almost morbidly obese. I was 320 pounds, uh, which was for my height about 140 pounds overweight. I was completely dependent on alcohol. I was messing around with drugs. I was living the rock star lifestyle that people have idolized over the years. But frankly, it was keeping me in a state of complete misery. I ended up uh, with a general anxiety disorder, uh, severe chronic depression. And uh, at the culmination of, of this period, I had two suicide attempts. And after that, it was like, okay, well, this can't happen. This just can't be. Um, and the only thing that I could change, it was the, the only thing that I could change was the music. Everything else was out of control. So I said, okay, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to take this risk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. And, and, and I, I ended the music and, and I ended up doing other creative projects as a result that have really grown me as a person. And to be honest, I still make music today, but it's a very different experience for me now. And I obviously know that you're someone that's gone through uh, quite a, you know, a, a very positive change and you've done a lot of sort of internal reflection. Um, you kind of listed all of the worst possible things someone could go through there, you know, depression, drug and alcohol, um, misuse, for want of a better term, um, suicide attempts, which is obviously horrendous. Is there, what was the sort of more deeper reason do you feel that you were, you know, it's a really way. good question and it's something that I had to explore a lot when I was healing and I, I would say there were a few things at the core of my misery primarily the, the, the biggest factor here was the fact that I'd repressed pretty much my entire identity when it came to my sexuality, when it came to who I, who I knew I was that I had not been a, allowed to be when I was growing up. 
and uh, I think my sexuality plays a huge part in this. There were other factors too though. My, I have a family history that, that is quite complicated when it comes to depression, when it comes to these things. I, do, I don't think that's abnormal. I think probably most families are like that, but that factored in too. And, and things like the alcohol and things like the, the drugs really do mess you up if you're not in control of them. If you can't control yourself in that atmosphere, they will completely dominate your life. So between all of these factors, I think I had a recipe for failure. When you kind of did begin to um, confront your sexuality, so to speak, how big of a change was that for you? Or, you know, were things still pretty bleak and pretty dark even when you did start being more true That's to another yourself? another good question. So I, I, I hit a point, if I'm brutally honest, where I kind of just gave up. And it was after I'd killed off music and I just gave up. I was like, the life that I'm living doesn't work because I'm not the person that I need to be. So for a little history here, I grew up in a very religious family. The idea of homosexuality was completely like off the table. As a homosexual, <laughs> that was quite a difficult thing to experience. And when I talk about having repressed my sexuality, I basically talk about that, which I think it, it again is not an uncommon thing to happen. It's very sad. But there was a point where I gave up and I was in my bed. Uh, I talk about this in my book. I was in my bed and I was lying there and I had absolutely nothing going for me. And I felt like I was done, like that I was just kind of waiting for death to happen because I, I hadn't even successfully killed myself. And you, you know, that sounds really morbid, but like when you've had two suicide attempts and you still failed at that, you feel so down on yourself that you're like, well, I'm just going to wait for life to, to end. Like, I'm just going to wait. And there were a few experiences that helped pick me up. But one of the things that was drastic that needed to change was my vision of myself. And in changing that vision of myself, in realizing that I had nothing left to lose because I'd lost everything, which is extreme and dramatic because I actually hadn't, but it felt like I had. So in, in, in that shift, I was able to change the way that I, that I looked about myself, change the way that I was with myself. And over time that developed into beautiful creative projects in themselves. So I ended up exploring the world of visual art and drag. I ended up doing some incredible things in that creative sphere. And I have so much respect for the drag community and, and for the creativity and the love and the joy that exists there. Um, and I, I'm so grateful that I had a chance to be involved in that community for the time that I was there. You mentioned obviously all, all these sort of underlining issues with not being able to be, be true to yourself or, you know, con confront who you really want to be. Um, how cathartic is, is this world of drag then? Is this a, a case of being totally who, who you want to be or who you feel like? Or is it actually a case of just being so over the top, so um, fabulous and so ridiculous that actually you're being bigger than yourself and and is that is there a kind of degree of therapy to drag in for my you case, drag was an incredible piece of therapy for, for me it was therapy for me it was less about being bigger than myself but more about expressing the myself that no one could see as a very masculine looking man uh which is something that i'd always struggled with 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 my sexual identity with the way that i was brought up with the religious elements i'd always struggled with the fact that i looked masculine so for me the experience of drag was the most therapeutic thing because i was able to take this person that i knew that i was inside and represent it on the outside 
and it was it was quite extraordinary to to create these looks so i made all of my looks out of paper out of weird fabric i made these headpieces out of paper and fabric i learned how to do makeup and then i would go out on the town in these looks and uh downtown toronto the, where i'm living at the moment is is a very progressive place but at the same time the amount of looks comments all of these different things that i received were quite was quite surprising positive and negative um, but the whole experience of being out there as a different side of myself, as a side of myself that is more than what people see when they see me. It's the side that people don't see. It was one of my first experiences of finding my inner voice, finding who I am inside, because both components are me. The drag persona and the person that I am today in, in this more masculine form, both are me. They're just different expressions of me. There's kind of two two key points that that I know um, have happened during this this time, and I want to make sure we get the timeline right with this. Um, number one is obviously that move to Toronto, as you mentioned, and then, then number two is is you really get in control of, of of your health and fitness. Which one came first, Frankie? For you, was it a case of moving to Toronto helped you kind of really get into the fitness, or were you kind of on that journey bef before you left the UK? It's a good question. And, and I would say I don't want to diminish the impact of moving uh, across the Atlantic Ocean because it was, it was a huge, huge thing. Uh, that said, uh, once I hit that tipping point about seven or eight years ago where I realized that I had nothing left to lose, there, was just, there just wasn't anything that could stop me from doing everything I ever wanted. Because I think that's the, the place you find when you hit that rock bottom. You either successfully leave, which is extraordinarily sad, or you realize that you really have nothing that is stopping you from doing what you want to do. And you can just do whatever the you want. Uh, I just censored myself out there, just in case you were wondering. Um, but the journey of, of losing 140 pounds, the journey of finding my, my inner self, the journey ha has taken seven to eight years. It, it's been from there. And each of the risks that I took, like moving uh, across the Atlantic Ocean or going into the drag or working in a corporate job for five years, even though I never thought that I would do it, or having my own radio show in prisons uh, in the UK, like all of these different risks that I've taken in my life led me to a point where I was capable of becoming the person that I am today. Ca Canada really helped me because when I came to Canada, that's when I started the drag thing. That's when I started these these other things, which I, I don't think I would have been capable to do in London. Um, but the journey has been a long term one. It's been seven or eight years now that I've been really pushing for for to, to build this life that I truly want and that I truly desire. And, and now I found that place. I am just playing the game of keeping it rolling, just keeping it rolling. And I, I want to get into the book and some of the, le the lessons in there for people. But I, I wonder, during this, this seven-year journey, um, was there any kind of key tipping points that kind of really helped you? Whether this was a, a, a total, total rock bottom that you thought, right, this is it. I, I'm not going to do this anymore and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up. And, you know, I know these things never happen overnight. But I wonder if there was any sort of eureka moment when you kind of felt, more in control of your life and that you were being a hundred percent truthfully honest about who you were and and you were free to be who you were i wonder during this journey was there any kind of 
key moments along the way that kind of helped you feel like you were more in control absolutely and, and i think they've impacted on each other so i can think of i mean there's a few examples in my book because really my book actually is a lot of of personal very embarrassing stories about myself with the lessons that were learned and how you cannot make the same mistake but what one of those first situations where I had a moment of clear like serious clarity in my life was when I was working with autistic children and the whole experience was deeply overwhelming I have such respect for people who work with autistic children I I, it was a a beautiful experience it was a life-affirming experience but it was extraordinarily difficult these children were right right as extreme as you can be um and you had some really uh, incredible things happening on a day-to-day basis that you wouldn't expect to happen uh, when it comes to uh, working with children. It, it was to an extreme. In fact, I left that job because one of the children threw a table at my head. Um, so the, 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 the whole experience was really, 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 really overwhelming. But the day that I left, I had a moment where I was standing there and I realized that half of the children would not remember me the second that I walked out of the door and the other half would wonder where I went for the rest of their life as they stayed in that same environment because they had hit their developmental capacity. Some of them had the mental age of a six-month-old, some of them had the mental age of a three-month-old, some of them had, had a mental age of a three-year-old, but they'd hit, hit a point where they couldn't take it further. It couldn't go further and it was the most incredible moment to sit there and think these beautiful incredible people that I've just shared all of this time with are forever stuck in what could be described as a rut in the fact in the sense that they they can't move forward they don't have the ability to move forward and I'm here moaning about my life I'm here moaning about the fact that I'm not getting what I want right now it was a real moment of clarity where I said I am completely out of line here these people have not got the opportunity to transcend the rut they're in and I have plenty of opportunities to do this so this was a really like clear moment for me and 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 it's that was early on in the journey and it's it's compounded over time there's been experience after experience after experience where you realize that the only thing stopping you from getting to where you want to be in your life is you and you have the capacity and the responsibility to get out of these ruts yeah, and so that was in the UK, wasn't it, Frankie, when you were... It was, there. yeah, it, I, I, and I believe we were in contact back then. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I kind of want to um, discuss your change of diet, because I know lots of people that have maybe been in, you know, certainly health ruts, but maybe it's sometimes sort of uh, mental health ruts as well, and they found that a change in um, diet and exercise has really improved life for them. Um, how drastic a a health change um have you been on you know what kind of things have you have you cut out what kind of things have you reduced your intake on and kind of how often are you exercising this is something that i i actually talk about a lot because I don't think people appreciate enough the connection between your physical health, your mental health, and people talk about it all the time um but I have not done anything drastic ever in my life because here's a here's a side note if you go on a diet you're putting in a short-term plan and if you look at the statistics on diets they fail pretty much nine times out of ten it's a billion dollar industry that's perpetuating itself by having failing diets so the one thing that i that i like to keep really clear with people when it comes to how i've managed to lose 140 pounds how i've managed to turn my health around from pre-diabetes to being completely healthy and, and sound is i did not make 
make any drastic changes. I made small tweaks over time, small tweaks to what I was doing, tweaks that were manageable, tweaks that were possible. So tweaks, for example, being as little as instead of having three coffees and, and two sugars in every coffee, I'll just have two coffees with two sugars in every coffee. And then two weeks later, you say, I'll just have two coffees with no sugar in. And you just keep tweaking, 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 tweaking. You're like Michelangelo chipping away at your masterpiece in stone. Um, but if you look from seven years ago to now, if you look at it from that timeline and you look at my diet then and my diet now, it's changed drastically. So people say, you changed everything. I didn't, I just did it over seven or eight years and it, it was not complicated. But back in the day, I was eating a lot of meat. I was eating a lot of cheese. I was up on, I was big on dairy and carbs. I wasn't getting enough fruit and vegetables, vitamins, wasn't getting enough fiber. I was drinking alcohol all day, every day. And I, I was in a really bad spot with my health. Hence, I was 320 pounds which is 140 pounds overweight. Now I'm in a place where my diet is almost exclusively plant-based and I am not drinking at all. And I don't advocate for that as like the gold standard and this is what you should be aiming for. I say, this is what my body wanted all along. And, and, and I've had issues with intestinal problems. I've been to many gastrointestinal specialists. Uh, some of them said, you've screwed up your body too much and it will never repair. I also have a history of Crohn's in my family. So d don't take my assessment of my own personal health uh, as, a, as a gold standard. It's just, if you keep tweaking where you are today and you kept tweaking one thing every single week for an entire year, you'd get to a point by the end of the year where you were 52 times healthier if you kept it, if you kept each of these little tweaks. And it does not feel complicated. It does not feel difficult. It's just a matter of being consistent. It's time for of the Week. This week's gig of the week is Lucha Britannia, taking place at the Resistance Gallery in Bethnal Green. This Friday night, the 15th, Lucha Britannia is part wrestling show, part cabaret show, and it's so good. We even did a full podcast with the men behind it, Gary Vanderhorn and Greg Burridge, which you should go back and listen to in anticipation before the show. I'm very much looking forward to it. I'll be there. Kane, are you going? I'm going to be there. I'll be there this week. Kane, uh, will you be joining me at Lucha Britannia this week's gig of the week? As much fun as I had the last time I went to Lucha Britannia, and I did have a lot of fun. Um, the tequila's really cheap. Booze is cheap. It's a great way to spend a Friday night out, particularly if you're a little bit sad that you didn't get any Valentine's the day before. Speaking of Valentine's, I'm taking a young lady to watch uh, Lanelli Town versus Carmarthen Town in the Welsh Premier League. Right. Is she big into her football? I think so. Is she... I hope so. Right. Is she from Lanelli? Lanelli. Clanelli? Lanelli. It's those two hours, isn't it? Adam Clonada. Well, there's actually four L's in it. There's the two at the beginning. Clonelli. Clonelli Town. Yeah, Clonelli Town. That is not Cloyd's Bank, though, is it? No, but that's Scottish. And are you in the Clonelli end or the Carmarthen end? I'm pretty sure you can just wander around wherever you like. Right. This is one of those games where you can take your dog. I think it's encouraged that you take your dog. Okay. Or dare I say sheep. Well, <laughs> that may be a little bit racist. I'm not sure if I I can say that. Xenophobic, just atypical. I, I don't know what it is, but okay. So that's your that's how you're spending your Valentine's weekend. Yeah, I'm gonna watch Lenelli Town. This is Carmarthen, also a town. Super. So is that this week's football match of the week? Is it? 
well, it's probably not going to be the best football match of the week, but it's where I'll be anyway, so I'm sure all of our listeners that we've got in Wales that certainly won't be making the long trip down to Bethnal Green um, can come join me at Lenelli Town. The Bovril's on me. Well, there you go. Um, but yes, that's not the gig of the week. Gig of the week is Lucha Britannia. And I tell you what, Abel, um, if you press that button there, right, I've prepared a snippet of the uh, Lucha Britannia podcast. Right, by button, what you've done that is, button is you've stuck a, a little post-it note on my keyboard that says Ed's mystery button and is pointing towards the spacebar. Well, I'll key you in again and you press the button. Right. Um, so for all our listeners now, here's a snippet of that podcast to give you a flavour of the show. Jenkins. Jones, Adroan, Ambrustwith, and Burgo Theta, Phillips. I'm going to get Only joking, it's this button. You idiot, see, there you go. But as soon as they come through the door, it's like entering a new world. And that's part of the, the, the allure and stuff of it. It's like an immersive theatrical experience. So you're coming into a venue that you don't even know exists. It's, uh, yeah, it's bad business, really, but we're kind of London's best-kept secret, even though we've been here at Resistance Gate for 10 years and doing the Lucha Britannia show for, the, I think we're in our 12 or 13, you know, I can't remember. But the show continues to change and evolve and is never the same. And the storylines go on and different wrestlers come in because we teach uh, from the school. We're bringing people up all the time, so people come and train with us from around the world, and we turn them into professional wrestlers, and then we create characters for them that become Lucha Britannia wrestlers. The number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy, and variety. You're listening to Talking Tricks. I, I want to dive in into the book now, Frankie, and I know that actually a lot of the questions I, I might want to ask you actually there, there's these sort of stories in in the book and that's what I think is kind of really nice um with what I've read so far is you know it starts you're in Portsmouth I think in the story at the beginning of the book you know it's it's 2010 and and I think there's lots of these kind of autobiographical stories within it and and helping you uh and how you've overcome sort of issues um but what are some of the sort of you know we've probably tackled health to a degree but what are some of the sort of typical ruts um that you find people do end up getting themselves phenomenal question you're always good with the questions i love it um when when it comes to ruts i think that there's a few key areas um and, and they're actually the different chapters that i have in my book so i think people can get into a real rut when it comes to their thinking i think people can get in a real rut when it comes to their health and i think people can get in a real rut when it comes to their time management these these three factors mind health time management if these aren't in check what happens is you start to develop or perpetuate self-limiting beliefs these self-limiting beliefs will become your reality in your life and if you are attaching them to emotions and those are getting repressed in you then you're in a place where you're going to be spiraling downhill kind of like where I was before. So really the big ruts people get into are in the way that they're thinking, because your thinking really frames your reality, in the way that they're physically active or inactive, because your body is a component of you and if it is not happy, you can't be, not truly. 
and your and your time where people are simply stuck in this rut of nine to five, nine to five, nine to five, watching Netflix nine to five, and they think by the time I get to a point where I have a little few minutes to do what I want to do with my life, I'm too tired. So I never really do it, and on the weekends I just want to party because I want to forget my week. So it's kind of like, I feel that those are the three key areas that we can start with, with people that says, are you in a rut with the way that you think about yourself? Or are you in a rut with the way that you're treating your body? Or are you in a rut with the way that you're managing your time? And and actually the, the, the secret here, uh, that's that's probably hidden in plain sight, is every single rut that I found myself in in my life, I was screwing up all three of those. It was always a combination of all three and it was creating these really negative uh, beliefs about myself and I was pushing all of this emotion down and it, it put me in a place where I was making the situation worse. The book itself, Escape, Breathe, Ignite, How to Escape Any Rut, it, you know, there's so many lessons I know in there on how to tackle and manage these kind of ruts. It would be a very long answer, <laughs> yeah, the whole of the book, if you kind of told us how to tackle all of these ruts. But um, <laughs> could you kind of just give us, I suppose, a brief overview on, on the kind of things that people can do to, to manage and, and beat these ruts? Yeah, I mean, there's one thing that I think is not talked about enough that I would say is the key starting point to any transformation. And it's the notion that peace is the secret source of success. Peace is the secret source of success. And what I mean by that is, if you are in a state of peace, everything you do will be positive. Everything you do, well, positive is the wrong word. Everything you, you do will be constructive. In, everything you do will be filled with something that doesn't exist when you're out of a state of peace. Now, the differentiation between being at peace and being hyper-stressed, which is what I used to, I, generalized anxiety disorders mean you're stressed all the time. Like I, I was behaving like a lunatic quite a lot of the time because I was panicking about absolutely everything. From that place of stress, I was incapable of taking a promising music career and turning it into a long-term success. I was incapable of turn, turning my, my radio opportunities into a long-term success. I was incapable of really turning any of my creative projects into a long-term success because I was sabotaging myself every single time, even though it was the last thing that I wanted to do. So the first thing that is, that is super important to understand, even if you can't implement it in your life, is the notion that peace is the secret source of success. If you can find peace in what you're doing, then you will find success over time after a string of failures, because failure is the route to success. You, you talk to all the people who've reached the pinnacle of their creative industries, and they always say the same thing. They say, I never doubted that I'd be here. I never doubted that I'd be here. Now, what that really means is they were at peace with the idea that they were going to get there eventually. So they didn't stress about getting there. They just got there. And I think that that's the component that most people don't talk about. And I think it's the, the, the simplest place to start is if you can find peace in your creative endeavor, if you can find that calm, if you can find that rational understanding of what's actually going on, then you'll have a, a much bigger opportunity of turning it into something than if you're stressing about it all the time. What are some of the key kind of messages or kind of key um, topics, so to speak, that are, that are discussed in, in the, the key, book? The key topics are essentially how you can change the behaviours that you have in your health, your mind and your time. And once you've done that, how you can tackle your self-limiting beliefs, like how you can actually take a self-limiting belief and turn it into something that works for you. 
how you can unrepress emotion that is holding you back because we all carry an emotional backpack on our shoulders or at least that's how I refer to it in the book. We carry an emotional backpack on our shoulders that needs to be unpacked if we're gonna walk up the hill more easily. And then it teaches how you can take that repressed, that unrepressed emotion, take that self-limiting belief and turn it into something that is beautiful for the world, like a lesson that you've learned that you can really share. And you can share it in any way. You can share it in a painting. You can share it in a comedy skit. You can share it on stage as a magician. These lessons don't have to be like, I'm going to tell you what to do, because I think the most beautiful portrayals of these lessons are artistic, are creative. And then what the, the final segment of this book covers is how you can integrate the lessons that you've learned properly into your life and use them to move forward and use them to celebrate where you're going. With these three steps in place, escape, breathe and ignite, I think, and, and I have true faith that, that people have an opportunity to really dig into themselves and find a, a latent creativity, a latent peace that will help them take their creative endeavors to the next step. And how often, Frankie, on, you know, it could be a weekly basis, monthly basis, daily basis, I, I don't know. Um, how often do you find yourself um, maybe needing to kind of step back um, and, and reevaluate the way you, you approach things, whether it's kind of things that don't go exactly to plan or challenges that, that come towards you. And how often do you kind of think, do you know what, seven years ago, this would have been the nucleus for a real kind of spiral into <laughs> depression yeah. or, or whatever. How often do you find yourself, you know, having that crossroads of um, how to react to these kind of issues? I think it's a process, right? So, I would say that my default setting now is not generalized anxiety or not depression. My default setting is peace. I, I am at peace most of the time, if I'm honest. Like I'm, when I say I'm at peace, I'm calm, I'm collected, I'm working on my projects, I'm enjoying my life, I'm seeing the little things and being grateful for them. That said, I am not infallible. And I'm not in a place that is impervious to stress or impervious to situations that I did not predict. Um, so I would say that the stepping back, the self-evaluation is something that you do uh, often when you're in a period of growth and less often when you're in a period of work. Because I, I see the two as being quite symbiotic. It's you, you grow enough to allow you to then go on and do what you need to do until you hit a wall and then you need to grow again. So a good example of this is a year ago, I had got to a point where I was really ready to launch my business in a big way. And on the day that I was gonna do it, I made the snap decision to drop everything and go traveling. I ended up traveling through 17 countries. And then when I came back, I was the person who was ready to make that business move. I was the person that was ready to step it up. And if I look back, I went on this world trip before I was the person. I wasn't ready at that point. Even though I was there, even though I was at a point where I could have switched the button on, I wasn't yet the person who could. And I took 70, it took me 17 countries to become the person that was capable of doing it. So when, when, when you say step back, it's almost like in some ways it's a daily process if you have a really stressful situation that you need to deal with. But also if you step back far enough, you realize the extremes at which you must grow to reach the next step and if you're like me and you realize that like your projects have evolved but you are still basic and you really need to work on yourself then sometimes it takes a really bold move like dropping everything and going around the world.
You dropped everything, you went around the world, you documented it, I know, during that journey. It, it's all on YouTube. Why did you make the decision to do it's that? It's something a lot of people ask me. They're like, why the hell did you do that? You were ready to pull the, the lever on your business. Everything was in place. In all honesty, I'd just gone through a breakup. Uh, I think that the breakup taught me that I, I had a lot of personal growth to do because I looked at the relationship I was in. It was a it was with someone who was really great. And I was like, if I can't manage my own personal relationships, then I really shouldn't be pulling the lever on this business thing because it's not time yet. So the, the real trigger point was I need to learn how to love myself more because if I can't love myself more, I'll be incapable of loving other people more. So if, if, I, if I'm in a point where I don't love other people enough, then my business won't work. Because my business is, is, is a process of teaching people how to find peace, the peace that is necessary to build an empire. And if, if I can't be in a place of self-love and be in a place of self-respect and share that with other people, then I'm never gonna be capable to do it. So I, I, I actually have the first ever video on my YouTube channel talking about this and I look back at the person that I was and it's almost mortifying to see uh, you know who I was, but I've kept it there and I'm keeping everything there as a reminder of how far you can go over time and how, how much you can grow and how much you can evolve and how a creative project that's not working today can be working perfectly in nine months time as long as you're moving, as long as you're progressing. And I think that's the key takeaway from anything I've said. I would say to all creative people out there, you're literally five minutes away from success. Don't give up in the next five minutes you're running this business and that involves obviously lots of consulting and speaking to people so uh, I'm, I'm keen not to take up too much more of your time but have you obviously there was this teenage dream to be a pop star you're now in your late 29. 20s <laughs> have you I suppose you've obviously had to go on this journey as well of re-evaluating what success and what happy looks like to you now kind of what's your day-to-day -day look like and, you know, how kind of content are you with, with what you've achieved so far? And then two-prong question, I suppose. What's next? It's a good question. And uh, my day-to-day my -day really keeps me in a place of peace. So what since finding this peace that I know is the grand facilitator of everything that I want in my life, and it will allow me to make the right decisions to get my business growing, to make my music career illustrious, to push all of these different things, uh, all on a day-to-day -day basis I'm doing is maintaining my peace. Now, for me, that means getting up at a reasonable hour, not not sleeping in too much. That that works for me. You know, you look at Mark Zuckerberg, he sleeps in till midday most days, according to, to news, and that works great for him. So again, I'm not one of those like, get up at 4 a.m. kind of people, because it's, it's just subjective, like everything in life. But I get up at a reasonable hour. I always go to the gym first. I'm actually pushing myself on a 12-week uh health journey that I'm documenting on my YouTube channel at the moment where I'm trying to lose 10% body fat in time for the summer. So I'm giving myself three months to do it. So I'm at the gym, I'm eating well, and I spend most of my day-to-day -day working with clients, talking with people, making music, working on my YouTube videos, basically doing all of the things that I would want to do if I had a day of a day off work when I was working in my nine to five, I fit it into my day. I go and have date nights with my partner. I go and do all of these different things. And for me, 
I find that is peaceful. I find that is joyful. I find that it keeps me content. Now, what I like also about this kind of lifestyle is if I want to just go to a different country for, for, the, for the sake of it, I can. I can just pick up my, my work and do my work from somewhere else. Um, so for me, the, the, all I've really valued in my life when I think about it, when I look at my creative projects and what they meant to me, all I really valued was time freedom. Time freedom was all I valued and now I found it. I think I can be at peace. And from this place of peace, I'm looking to build something beautiful in my life. Um, so what comes next? I'm gonna keep making YouTube videos. I'm gonna keep making music. I'm gonna keep working on my business. I'm gonna keep you know, working on creative content for people. And as, a, as I can't really put anything else on that, like what comes next? No idea, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Um, but I'd like to think that I have the opportunity to be creative in the long term. Final question then, Frankie. Tell us all of the details that we need to know about the book. Where can people buy it? How's it going so Yeah, far? the book has been absolutely incredible. So I launched the book in the UK on Amazon uh, on Wednesday and then I launched it in Canada on Saturday. And basically it's now available worldwide, but what has been completely overwhelming and has filled me with such a sense of gratitude is the fact that I managed to hit number one bestseller on six different individual charts on Amazon. So I, I, I was kind of blown away to be honest by the support and the generosity of the people uh, in my network and in my community. So uh, I can say that I'm a six times bestseller on Amazon, um, which is probably extreme because, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of books that have sold a lot more than mine. But um, the book is available on Amazon in each individual market, be it Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, Amazon.in, Amazon.co.jp. Trust me, I know all of this because I self-published it, so I had to look into all the different Amazons. Um, but if you search for my name, Frankie Cote, F-R-A-N-K-I-E, C-O-T-E, I'll be the first person to come up because there's no one else on Amazon with my name. It's still a daily journey for you and hopefully people are going to listen to this and want to get the book, but they might want to continue to follow along with you and how, how things are going. Where do they find you on the internet, the Frank? The easiest place to find me would be through my website, um, which is beinfinity.today. That's B-E-I-N-F-I-N-I-T-Y dot today. It's a dot today website, which confuses some people. Um, but beinfinity.today, on there, there's links to all of the different things I'm doing, including my YouTube series, um, some podcasts I've done myself, um, some blogs that I've posted. There's a free ebook on there if anyone's interested in grabbing that. Um, it's, it's how you can start on a transformation, literally today so if uh, the book is something that you're interested in but you're not sure if you, you'll enjoy it then please go and grab the free ebook um, but yeah that's probably the easiest place super Frankie so lovely to chat with you so happy you're out of this rut great to see everything you're achieving love you to bits thank you Thanks so for much for the us. opportunity I love the love you to bits I love you to bits too uh, I don't know what you're supposed to say to that. But yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be here. And I hope to chat to some of you guys uh, if I get the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cain and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast.